Hey, what's going on, Isaac? How you doing? I'm great, and uh, welcome everyone to another episode of Cheeseburger in Babylon. Welcome everyone to Cheeseburger in Babylon. Um, Isaac, uh, you were you were fishing the other day. I saw you fishing the other day. Uh, with a P. Yeah. 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 I was trying to get some passwords out of some people. Yeah. Did you uh, get any uh, Wells Fargo passwords or any Ashley Madison passwords out of people? Uh, General Petraeus fell for it again. <laughs> again? Yeah. Jesus. I know. He's he's a real sucker. He is a super sucker, my guy. Yeah. Yeah. Did you catch anything? Yeah, I did. Uh, I got someone's uh, like uh, Sam's Club password. Yeah, and I got their card number. I've never been inside of Sam's my whole life. You've never it been feel, it's it seems like I don't know those parties I was never invited to in high school. So uh, what do we got on today's show, Chris? We got uh, Tarun Shetty as our guest today. Yeah, who's that? Yeah, Tarun Shetty is a comedian, uh, writer, and actor out of L.A. Um, he's been in a movie called Bobby Khan's Ticket to Hollywood. He was on an NBC show called Forty Dancing, and he's chilling in Florida doing stand up. And we got him on our show today. We're going to talk a lot about uh, bad auditions, what it's like uh, being in LA, and also uh, Florida dating and Florida stand up. All right, man, sounds good. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah, I was there. So you knew Patrice. What was it like during that time? I'm not boys with Patrice, but I, I was there when you know Kevin Hart, Bill Burr, you know Dane Cook, all those guys would roll through. Burt Kreisner was the guy right before me who had the door job. Really? So when you were there, who was like at the bottom of the pecking order, and then who sort of like skyrocketed first? Well, I was the door guy. I was got in Dub David off. I don't know how much you know a comedy. Do you know stand up comedy really well? Um. I'm uh I'm I, I dabble in it a bit, but for the audience's sake, I'll try to use generic or more mainstream names. But for Chris's question, you know who Dub Davidoff is? I do. Yeah, he's acting on now. So I was a door guy with him. Okay. So he was probably the bottom of where I was, and mid-level guys were like Bill Burr, Ed Helms, who's a big movie star. Ed Helms did stand up. He was running the open mic on Mondays. Wow, I didn't know that. With this guy named David J. Nash, who's a big TV creator, DJ Nash. Okay today so a lot of guys came up and the guys at the top probably dane cook was 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 just about to pop Chappelle would come by um tracy morgan would come by what years were these this was uh 2001 maybe 2002 Mm -hmm. yeah when i was in college okay long time ago to date you no i don't care (laughs) i'll tell you anything you want so how many years were you in new york and then when did you just like i'm gonna go to la I was in New York for like uh, six, seven years. Yeah. So, and I left for LA like 2005. And the reason was because I got a manager out here in the West Coast. Oh, nice. I could buy a buddy of mine. He had a manager and he hooked me up. So he was like, oh, you come out here, make a run for it. And I felt like I was just kind of spitting my wheels in, in New York. Gotcha. And you were like doing stand-up and modeling? Uh, I was more doing stand-up in New York. Yeah. And then I was kind of dabbling in acting. You know, I was learning how to act. And then when I got to L.A., things popped as a print model, commercials, like it just because in L.A. it's really about your look, you know, it's more TV film. So you figure out your niche real quick, how to make money. Mm -hmm. Are you the best looking stand up comic in the world? Yes. No question. (laughs) I mean, mean, I'm not going to dispute that. No, I can't think of another better looking comic than you. No, I mean, maybe when I was like 25, but now my my hair is thinning and wear glasses. So like when I was like 20 years ago. I had a good run because I was a you know six foot one Indian you know yeah and I just fit a good niche and you you use what you have so what was it like being an Indian comic you know twenty odd years ago it was fine I mean the door the doors weren't open as they are now to I feel like everyone you can throw a rock you can find like a hundred Indian South Asian comedians mm-hmm. but when I started like in ninety seven or eight. It was like me, Russell Peters, this guy named Jerry Bednoff, the guy from 40-Year-Old Virgin, or the old guy. Yeah, yeah like, there's a guy who's like, uh, motherfucker, yeah. like, kill you, motherfucker. 
Yeah, there's a guy named Jazz Man. I remember Googling, like, who are their other comics, and Russell was there in Canada, but he hadn't, like, really, you know, blown up yet. Mm-hmm. And then when I got to New York, um, like, a year or two after, I saw Aziz popping up at the open mics. So you see these guys come up, Camille Langiani, maybe started later, but there's a proliferation of comedians that happen as you do stand-up. You kind of see the wave coming and the movement, especially in L.A. There's so many comedians right now. Mm-hmm. But what the fuck is happening with L.A. now? Like COVID, actors, some of them have left L.A., some of them are trying to find work, comedians are trying to figure it out. Like, what's it like stand-up right now in L.A.? I mean, I left. I feel like in L.A., everyone has their own path. I feel like the people who who have been around a long time yeah. and have kind of gone through the system who are in the, the comedy clubs, you know, they've been there, done that. They want other opportunities. A lot of these guys are working comedians, and so they went elsewhere, like Texas or Florida. Yes, which I will say, everyone knows this, Tampa is going to be the biggest thing in comedy. Oh yeah, is state, that what you think? In the state, yeah. it's going to become the next Austin. You watch. I heard Joe Rogan is actually going to move. He's thinking about moving to Tampa. DeSantis wants him to come to Tampa. He's thinking about doing it. Yeah, but how make it happen? It's going to happen. Yeah, Steve Harvey also moving to Tampa. Man, I am such a Steve Harvey fan. <laughs> I love come up with Steve Harvey. Did I come up with no? No. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yo, I'm, I'm I think it's hilarious, Steve Harvey. No, he's he's great. And, he, and I was just watching this bit where he uh, he talks about if he was sent to Iraq, he would just kill, <laughs> kill everybody. Everyone, yeah. That's it's so <laughs> funny. Baby. Yes, it's so funny. And so it, back to being a, an Indian comic, do you think that you missed out on the wave? Like back in the day, was there as much support, or was it a hindrance? Well, I never really saw myself as like an Indian comic. Yeah. I never like like put myself. If you watch my act now, like I don't define myself as like not to make this like some progressive thing, but I always thought let me just be the best funniest person I could be. But I did utilize that to get work. Like I played like when Russell, you know, Russell Peters is. Mm-hmm. So when he blew up, he was very big among the Indian comedians. So a lot of these people couldn't afford Russell. So I was like <laughs> fifth or sixth on the list for they'd, who they'd reach out to. So I'd be flying to these random indie events around the country mm-hmm. and they'd pay me good money. So it was it, it was helpful, but it was also a detriment too because a lot of these clubs, they only wanted one or two Indian guys in their lineup. They were mm-hmm. like zookeepers. Right. Like, we have a Jewish guy, we have a fat guy, we have an Indian guy. Yeah, yeah. So like... Like the comic strip, I couldn't get past there because they had Aziz Ansari. They were like, oh, we have Aziz. Like, they told me that straight up. So, Damn. so I, I, you know, you, you play the cards that are dealt to you. Mm-hmm. And How much is like your manager saying, all right, you have the Indian market sort of cornered. We need to sort of put our feet in the other mainstream. Like, how much of it do you think was your manager maybe not giving good direction or something? Well, I never had the Indian market cornered. It was just work that I okay, took. But, but managers... I feel like managers in LA, they have like the same similar game plan for everybody. Mm. Like you find a young comedian, bring them out, auditions, commercial, TV. It's the same strategy. So for me, it was like, hey, let's get him commercials. Let's let's see how he does pilot season. And you hope that builds into something bigger. So in that respect, my manager was, was good. Like he did all that stuff. He, you know, he guided me when I knew nothing in LA. That's good. That's so, good. Do you have any like audition stories? I got a ton of them. What, what do you, you want? Good ones or bad ones? What do you? Uh, good, bad, and uh, unique. Mm. My favorite one is uh, is Ashton Kutcher throwing me out of the audition room. You want to hear that one? Yeah. So when I was uh, I don't know what year this was. I mean, like two thousand. It was right before Andy Samberg got SNL because I went to school with Andy Samberg and mm-hmm. I saw him in the audition room and I, we were talking. And uh, it was like they were re pumpers on for a minute and they were retooling the cast. So I made it to the final like 15 or 20, whatever that was. So it was like me, Andy Samberg. And I went in with this guy named Maranzio Vance, who's a comedian in LA. So it was me and Maranzio in the room with Ashton and his producing partner, like something Goldberg, I forget his name. 
and it's like Ashton, and you're sitting there in the room, and you're kind of like, man, that's Ashton Kutcher, you know, from, you know, dude, where's my car? All these movies and stuff, and and he gave us this scene where he was like, all right, man, I want you to insult him, but it was like a backhanded compliment. For some reason, I couldn't do it properly. I could not like do this properly, and Ashton kept saying, all right, man, you're not doing this right. Do this like this, and he kept giving me adjustments, and I couldn't do it. I'd probably do it in my sleep today, but like back then when I was like 26, I couldn't do it properly. And you can just see Ashton like getting madder in the room. And I'm like, oh, I'm not doing this right. And we both weren't, me and Maranzio. And he was like, all right, both of you guys, go for a walk. Go for a walk. Get out of here. Go for a walk. Think about this and come back. And we're like, oh, man. And I, said, I was like, Maranzio, I was, I was sorry, dude. Like, I hope, you know, I hope I didn't blow this for you. And he was like, oh, we're good, man. We're good. And we got back, MTV. And the, uh, the MTV exec was like, yeah, Ashton's done with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what? Really? He said to come back. He's like, no, he's done. And I got a call from like, my manager. He was like, yeah, apparently you guys had a meltdown in the audition room. And <laughs> Ashton hated us. And oh, I, I felt so bad just for, uh, you know, my partner. But I, also, I felt bad for myself, too, because you have, like, these dreams and aspirations, and you get to the very end, and you're like, oh, I'm in the final round, and you work so hard to, like, you know, be a comedian and learn all these skills, and, you know, you're just looking for that break to, like, kind of put you over, and then when you have, like, Ashton Kutcher knowing that he hates you, you know, you're like, oh, my God, my, my career is over. Kutcher, so. Kutcher the kingmaker? Yeah, he, seriously. That's does, he, does he wield that much power, you think? Well... That show could lead to other things. You never know. Right. Like, I don't think Punked alone could do it, but you always look for those stepping stones. I totally forgot that that was his vehicle. Yeah. I, I, I always forget, like, his uh, cultural relevance. I always think of that 70s show as, like, that's Ashton Kutcher, and then he didn't do anything after that except for the butterfly effect. Well, the Two and a Half Men, I mean, that sitcom, is he in that? millions. And he took over for Charlie Sheen. So Charlie Sheen's getting paid twenty million a year or something for that, or some ridiculous. Well, I'll tell you where Ashton made his most money. I think, which is, uh, I think Uber. I think he was one of the early investors in Uber. So Airbnb as well. Yeah, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, smart, could be wrong. Smart guy, and he started as a model too. So I think he, yeah, I think yeah, you're right. Models are smart. Models are very <laughs> smart. Right. It was like a great a, a break. Like you had an audition, like holy shit, I got this. Holy smokes. Um. A great thing was uh, I did that movie Bobby Khan and uh, a guy from there was uh, also worked with Disney and he got me right in with the producers and you know Wait, was, hold on. tell us a little bit about Bobby Khan it's a, it's a movie you made sure uh, Bobby Khan was a movie it was uh, based on, on a, I, I was on a Bollywood show and ended up sketch based on this Indian character from India it's kind of delusional it was based on a Bollywood star named Shah Rukh Khan who's huge in India so we made a movie. It was a feature movie, and a lot of comics were in it. We spent years making it, shot on weekends, put it out there. Um, one of the actors was a, worked as a producer as well on the side, and he was involved in a, in a Disney show, and put my, my name in the hat to be cast. Uh, it was like a prank show in Disney, we call it Code 9, and met with the producers, really easy. You know, I mean, It was like the easiest audition, you go in, they laugh, and the next thing I know, I was on a TV show wow. for Disney. So that was I. I consider that a, a break because for once, everybody I got like lawyers calling me, agents, all that stuff. You know, it was like exciting to like have some up and up movement. Was it was Ashton Kutcher at any point involved in Code Nine? Yeah, he was. He was involved. He was actually in, he was in the room too. And he <laughs> you made him in, go for a walk. The whole, yeah. the whole audition was just him punking you. Exactly. Like little... Exactly. That was my that was my my uh, fu to Ashton to get a prank show. Yeah. So, um, all that's happening in LA, um, COVID, is, do you come to Florida when COVID happens? No, I was there, uh, uh, as COVID was happening. I, I, I was there for a good year and a half. Oh, really? During so COVID. When was the first time you came to Florida? Mm, I came in, I came in October, 2020. That was your first experience in Florida? I mean, I visited as a kid, like, okay. you know, with my parents, family vacations, but my parents moved out here a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. so I came out here for family stuff. How did Florida exist in your mind, both like as a, like, as a child visiting it and then, you know, as an adult? What, what, how does Florida exist? Florida was a magical place as a kid because you have these positive connotations like Disney World and the sun and, you know, it, it was a pleasant experience. The vacations that came out here, I just had positive memories. Mm-hmm. But then moving out here was a different thing because, you know, 
I don't know anything about working here in Florida. And it's a different thing than what I, what I experienced in Boston, New York, LA, especially comedy. Like I don't know. I knew, well, the business is in LA mostly. Mm -hmm. Like most productions take place. So I knew nothing. Now the business has changed. Now it's like more social media based. You can create your own brand versus with TikTok or whatever you're using. But everything was very alien and foreign to me and I had to kind of reset because I have no name. I have to like start over again. Open my So your name from New York and LA did not carry here. I mean the name I had was this from hanging out at clubs. I wasn't famous. It was mm -hmm. just from me being there a long time. So when I came over here, I used to get guest spots at some clubs because I'd come back and I'd send them my, my credits. But when I came back here, as Chris has explained to me, you have to go to the end of the line. So and that was still is extremely frustrating. Where do you think you are in the line now in Florida? I'm at the end. Still at the end? I mean, yeah. Some places... Where's Chris? Oh, he's at the very top. Everyone <laughs> knows Chris Chris Sanders. Everyone knows him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. King of, King of uh, Saratoga County over here. Yeah. Um, so, like, when you first came here, did you feel like the audiences were kind of... like, What was their temperament compared to, like, L.A. audiences? Audiences here are really good. They're actually... I think they're better than... LA audiences in the sense that LA audiences think they're hip like if you go to a show some comedian said this to me you know Dwayne Perkins is I do yeah so not the name drag you know Dwayne, Dwayne Perkins great comic great guy and he said you know in LA if you do a show you know like the audience like the, some of them in the audience be like oh if you, well, let me start with stuff if you do a show like in Florida you know people will come out and be like hey great job you know you know great job Chris performing in LA, someone will come and watch you and be like, "Hey, you know what? I should do that." You know, like, like there's this <laughs> ego thing with LA, yeah, yeah. or like this hipster thing that doesn't exist here in Florida. People come out here to, to generally have a good time. That's it. Yeah, that's I think that's very true about Floridians. Just here yeah. to have a good time. Also, like open mics here, they're not really open mics because there are people in the audience, so you can actually work out new jokes and test material versus just. Talking to other comics out loud. L.A., yeah. L.A. is all comics at his open mics. But here, you can get like, better. I feel like that's what most like long-form journalism is, is just writing to other journalists. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a weird, like, uh, like Ouroboros of uh, an industry. So I, I, I only think... Yeah, I only think that journalists read other journalists in, in terms of... In a, pay for it as well now is it because in certain markets or certain publications like in small town like richmond virginia are people actually reading the journalist work i don't think facts? people i don't think people read in richmond virginia <laughs> but no i think i mean it's it, it, it is like a, a new york thing like journalism exists in new york that's sure. where you go to make it as a journalist mm -hmm. and then only other journalists read you it's it's a weird thing so um, Are you a journalist? I don't know. I, yeah, kind of. Okay, yeah. I'm learning. That's, I don't. Yeah, I we didn't. didn't we, we didn't. I didn't really say that about myself. Yeah, no, I'm a I'm a journalist, Florida reporter these days. But I got my start in New York City, uh, where I will not go back to be a journalist. I, I decided there's just too many. There's too many journalists, and there's not enough stories to write. Whereas in Florida, too much. I don't have the time to write all the stories that come up here. Um, but yeah, it's an industry that I don't think is built to survive precisely because the only people paying for it are the journalists. And I think they do it mostly out of jealousy. Like, I don't know how comics are, uh, how supportive they are of each other, but I think as a journalist, I like kind of hate other journalists in a way. You know, there's like only so much of the pie to cut up between people. And when someone does really well, you're kind of like, fuck, like they took away from my potential of doing really well. And my, like breaking a story is like kind of coming up with a joke for the first time. I know there's a lot of joke stealing controversy in comedy, but in writing it's like, yeah, I broke that story and that's mine. And mm. then, you know, because other people can't really touch it. Does, uh, do people feel like someone steals stories? Are there like, like kind of like with Amy Schumer, like, oh, he's stealing stories or he's... Well, this kind of happened to me a little recently yeah. with the... So I've been writing about beach privatization a lot in Florida. Mm -hmm. And um, I did a talk about it at this local club, um, Tiger Bay. And it turns out there's another journalist for the Sarasota Herald there who didn't come up to me. And I found out through this woman who I'm doing a story about that 
that guy contacted her and did the exact same thing that we did, which was film her walk on this beach for the first time in two years that she was wrongfully kicked off of. And then, so I had to find out through her, and then I called the reporter, because I wanted to know what happened. And he was like, oh yeah, I, I meant to tell you, I meant to reach out to you about this. And I was like, you had months to uh, do it. Oh, he was it. trying to publish it before you. He, and he definitely did. So I was wow. going to publish it that week, uh, two weeks from when we, t- we spoke. He called me the next day as a courtesy call to say, hey, so I talked to my editor, and it turns out we're publishing it this weekend to like beat you to the punch. So like, there is like that level of competition. Sure. And so, and comedy, that must be... Has anyone ever stolen one of your jokes? Have you ever stolen someone's joke, accidentally? Nope. No? <laughs> um, I've never stolen any jokes, but writing is a big part of my, my stand-up. I do have a funny story about someone t- using my joke by accident. Mm-hmm. I think by accident. And I think it was totally coincidental. Because I used to be a, um, a door guy at the Boston Comedy Club. And I remember... Um, Jim Gaffigan used to come by, and he obviously was coming up. He wasn't a huge name, and he's totally original. And by no means, let me preface this, that he stole this joke. I think it was just weird... Synchronicity. Yeah, I was most... I don't know what, but I used to do this joke. Um, I used to do this joke. Um, I went to Hawaiian Luau, and the main dish was a roasted pig with an apple in its mouth. And I was like, man, couldn't they have killed the pig after he was done eating his apple? Right, yeah, and I remember I saw Jim Gaffigan do that on Conan, right? Where my friend was like, Hey, dude, he just did your joke in Conan, and I was like, Hmm, you know, I can't say he took it, but I, I was like, You know, he probably maybe he saw me do it at the Boston and thought it was, I don't know how it was like, or maybe it's parallel thinking, mm-hmm. but that's the only time anyone's ever like done a joke of mine like on TV, and again, maybe he just came up with it at the same time, but I stood do that joke at the Boston, but you must have come up with that. That must have taken time for you to come up with that sort of response to it. Were you initially outraged, or was there a, a, an arc to your response, to it or just no? Because I, because Jim Gaffigan's a very original comedian, sure. and he's, I think he's phenomenal, like one of the best. Mm-hmm. So it was probably maybe he just came up with it, and I was, if he did, I was like, I was honored that I was on the same you know train track that he he was on, mm-hmm. and if he just saw me do it at the Boston by accident, you know, and whatever you know i always think i can write a hundred more jokes like people who steal steal jokes can't write jokes like you, you can always identify a joke thief because you watch the joke they took and you compare it to the rest of their act mm-hmm. you know if there's something different about it then they probably stole my act if you watch my act all my jokes are the same you know they're mm-hmm. all like i try to be original it's all because i, I put so much out there like it takes me so long to find these jokes because I'm always writing. So I don't find joke thieves a threat at all because I'll just come up with more jokes. Mm-hmm. I'll write more. How many, how's Florida like affected your comedy, like influenced your comedy? Are you writing differently now that you're in Florida? I'm not writing differently, but it's definitely made me more present. Like if I watch my, my act, like I'm more present with the audience. I think part of it's because I don't give a shit out here. Like nobody's watching me. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that, like, there's no industry out here. So I'm more present. Like, I'll drop my act. I'll go into the audience. I'm just more alive, you know, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's actually made me a stronger comedian. So there's some benefits to being in Florida, for sure. Yeah. What's uh, what's dating like in Florida compared to L.A.? Uh, well, I told you my story the past, <laughs> the past week. I listeners haven't heard the story. I'll tell you the story. Uh, well, I didn't really date this chick. And uh, this girl who... Trying to bridge this version. This girl came to a couple of my shows, and um, she's cute. She's really, really pretty. Yeah. Okay. Sure. You can. You can go for it, Chris. <laughs> yeah, Chris. You want to tell the story? <laughs> no, no, no. It was just. It's just. She came to a couple of shows, and then she invited both Chris and, and me to her uh, house party afterwards. And it must be like twenty five. Super nice girl. Supports me. I'm not trying to trash her either. Let me preface that too. And uh, Chris and I ended up at her house party with like these twenty five year olds. I don't know how old you are. Maybe you're 25. But I ended up in like a jacuzzi at like 3 o'clock in the morning with her and like her couple of friends. And I was like, what am I doing here? I'm like 43 in this hot tub, like trying to get laid. And I was like, get me the fuck out of here. I just like got out of there and I left. And I told like Chris, I, t- I called Chris. And we had a good talk about getting entangled in relationships. Because I've been around the block and sometimes... These 
trying to get laid can get you in these worst predicaments and it's not worth it. So I've been very conscious about just not letting people bleed energy. That is not very Floridian of you. You really, if you yeah. want to fit in, you can't be so responsible. You really gotta, it, like basically if you're in a hot tub that late at night, you've already committed to having sex. I thought so too, yeah. but it wasn't guaranteed. What are your thoughts on poly people and polyamory? Hey, whatever floats your boat. I can't judge that. If that makes you happy and works for you, so be it. I mean, it's not my thing, but. Yeah. And they're what, open relationship poly totally different things. Yeah, well, poly, I find poly stuff to be really funny because it is like borderline cultish. Mm-hmm. And I don't think all cults are bad. I think that if there's like no sex in a cult, great cult. But if there's like sex involved in a cult, bad cult. Is there an abstinence cult? Is there a cult? Like you have to join this cult, but you can't have sex with anyone. Yeah, it's called uh, being a priest in the Catholic <laughs> Church. No, they're so, having sex with it. <laughs> but they're being bad then. They're not following the rules. No, poly stuff is weird because it's just, there's a lot of weird lingo to it. It's just another uh, kind of identity-ism to like, manufacture and belong to. Mm. Um, what I like about it now is that they're trying to claim some sort of like uh, marginalization in society where it's like, poly people are the last people you're allowed to make fun of. Oh, really? Yeah, there's, like, they're trying to like, make themselves, turn themselves into like, basically an, an oppressed class. Really? Like, just, yeah. Well, at some point, we're going to have someone run for office who's poly, like a senator or even a president. I mean, Kristen Sinema is probably... She's lesbian. Or no, wait, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's poly? She was... I don't know if it was poly, but she was cucking her husband. No. Yeah. Yeah. She was totally cucking her husband. She cheated on him with both her CrossFit trainer and some other guy. And then her husband still remained with her. So okay. maybe they're poly. So she got she got jaded. He got jaded. <laughs> he got jaded. Wow. I don't know. Maybe they're into that. Yeah. Um, Roger Stone does a lot of poly stuff. Really? He would he would find like ex military or, or cops to fuck his wife. And he's way into that. Allegedly, can we get sued? No one listens to this. Um, but cucking involves observing. Right, you have to. Uh, there's like a knowledge to it. Right? Knowledge, you're I mean, I guess you can cuck someone and by just cheating on them. That's being cucked. It's basically like emasculating a man through sex. But you, you are aware of your wife cheating. You're okay with it. Maybe you're not okay with it, okay. but you 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 tolerate. You tolerate it. It. Yeah, that's being a cuckold. I'm gonna drink your coffee. Is that okay? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I got this for you. But I'm gonna drink it. I, I've already okay. had two cups, so I'm gonna. Right. I, you know, I drink a lot of coffee, but I will, I'm already talking like way too fast, so. Oh. I was gonna make you guys coffee. I, I'm, sure I'm a total coffee snob. Are you a coffee snob? For yeah, real? I'm a coffee snob. Dude, we gotta hang out because I used to go to a lot of coffee shops. Um, yeah, there's a handful of pretty good coffee shops in town. I learned this one new coffee thing this summer in Maine called a, a, a shakerado, where it's like anyway, if you put espresso and uh, grapefruit juice together, it is the most amazing really? combination. I, I, it blew my mind how good it was. We gotta hang out. Hold on one sec. You guys keep talking. Okay. <laughs> uh, what's that called? Well, a shakerado. I really. I hope we do not uh, publish this information right no, now. No, I can't. This, this, this is stuff. stupid. Yeah. yeah. But uh, a shakerado, you put simple syrup in like a, a, a what's it called? A cocktail shaker. Okay. With ice and a little bit of milk, and the um, shot of espresso. And then um, shake it up, it foams, and you pour some Pellegrino grapefruit soda in it, and it, it blew my mind how good it was. Okay. I mean, there's something about the, the bitterness of the grapefruit and the bitterness of the espresso put together. Just... So do you have to make that yourself? or can there, was, there, there are very few places that'll do that. There's one coffee shop here that'll put the grapefruit Pellegrino in your coffee. But that just doesn't, it's not the same. Like, they don't do it with the tender, loving care of this one place. Sure. Yeah. I mean, being a barista, I've learned, I mean, it's an art form. It's like a bartender. Like, Were you a barista? No, I, I was a barista. I was, I was a barista. One, okay, I was a barista. In LA, yeah. I had, learning uh, so much. I had two jobs. Polly said. When I first got to LA, I had an interview at a coffee shop. It's uh, this ex-engineer opened up these coffee shops. And he was like a very, just like, just a militant guy. And I remember he was showing me how to put the air into the coffee, and I did it wrong, and he yelled at me, and uh, I didn't like that, so I went to the bathroom. Incredible. No, I went to the bathroom, and then opened the door, and saw that he was training other people, and he just left. <laughs> just left. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, um, and then after that, I worked for the Arclight Movie Theater, which 
rumored is owned by the Church of Scientology. In Hollywood, you worked for that? Yeah, yeah I, worked. I worked there for uh, about a year. I worked a few premieres. Uh, the first person I ever met was Mitch Glazer, who wrote Great Expectations, which was filmed at the Katazan. Oh, cool. Yeah, his wife yelled at me because I, <laughs> I got her like bo- her, uh, her bonus points wrong. And also, and also, you know who else yelled at me? Kimberly Pierce, the director of Boys Don't Cry, because they didn't put the points on her uh, card right. They yeah. really need those points. Huh? Oh, oh, they get so pissed off. These uh, other people. Yeah, they, yeah. You, you know what the arc light is? Yeah, it's a huge theater. Did they play the master at the arc light? That'll tell you. Yes. That so when I was there, I think just before I left, they played the master. And I heard that thing about how like um, there was an issue with like the search Scientology was trying not to get it on the screen or something. They were trying to like that's what one of my friends told me. With people at the arc light, there are projectionists. And it's like a trade to be a projectionist. Like you have to oh, yeah. work your way up to become one. Yeah, yeah. And we've been talking about that. What, what did you hear? Um, I heard nothing about ArcLight. I just know that um, in order to get the master made, Paul Thomas Anderson basically made a deal with uh, the daughter of Larry Ellison, who runs Annapurna. Yes, Megan Ellison. Yeah. Um, she said, I will fund the master if you do inherent vice. So he made an exchange to, uh, he said, yes, I'll do okay. that. Yeah. Which are both great movies. I love both of them. Yeah, that, those are great movies. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The okay. Master is, you know. One of them. It's amazing. Yeah. Swine. Fuck. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you miss LA, man? Do you miss, like, I miss parts of LA. I miss just being in the city. I miss being around all those other artists. I miss just sort of the mix. I do miss... There's like a hope you have. Like yeah. any audition can, and it's probably more delusional. Like every audition you think this could change in my life because yeah. I've seen it happen to my friends. So I miss being plugged into that. Yeah. But uh, I have a great arc light story I forgot. Please. But, you know, I, one of my my uh, first jobs in LA was to give up free movie passes. I guess you can like go uh, watch. Yes, yes. You, 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 know? you stand in front of the dome. Yeah. Take, yeah. So, well, you get assigned different areas. So. Yeah. Basically, free movie passes. You can pre-screen the movie before it comes out, and you can write reviews. So I had this movie I was giving out passes to, and uh, I'm giving out movies outside the arc light. And this guy look, takes it. I look up, and it's Paul McCartney and his wife, right? And I was like, "Oh, Paul McCartney," and he's like, "He's like, who's in the movie?" And I was like, "Dennis Quaid." And he's like, "Eh." Not a Dennis Quaid fan. <laughs> I'm thinking, why is Paul McCartney even considering seeing a free movie? And he gives me the flyer back and keeps walking. And I was like, okay. Like, that's the thing. I feel like celebrities are used to getting free shit. Like, they just don't pay for things in general. There's like that whole Guess. culture of it. Didn't make any sense to me. I don't know. I love the story of, uh, there's, there's video of it, of when a reporter told Paul McCartney mm. that John Lennon got shot. Yeah, I've seen Have that. Have you seen that one? He just goes... It's a drag. <laughs> like, it's the most callous response yeah. to John Lennon die. I think he was pissed, but he's like, oh, fuck. Now he's just like always going to be more legendary than me because mm-hmm. he died that way. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. John Lennon has been in more movies as a dead guy than when he was actually alive. So he's more famous. And Paul McCartney stole that wife's leg, apparently. When she, she was the one who had the prosthetic leg, right? Stole all the money from him and shit. Well, she got a lot in the divorce, I believe, yeah. but the I think in the I could be completely making this up, but in the divorce proceedings, uh, she testified that he at one point stole and hid her leg from her. I think that's who okay. he was with because yeah. this must have been like two thousand six. Yeah, that that yeah, that so, sounds about right. Must have been her. Vegans, man, <laughs> fucking <laughs> vegans. I don't know. I don't. Do I have any celebrity stories? Not not not. Uh... I mean, other than Kimberly Pierce yelling at me, um, uh, Mitch Glazer's wife, who co-wrote Scrooge with Bill Murray, mm-hmm. remember him yelling at me? Oh, I so when I, I worked the premiere of Think Like a Man Two, I think it was the, with the Kevin Hart movie, and Michael Ealy's in that movie. He's really mm-hmm. handsome, handsome dude. And I was in, I was working the dome where they had the premiere, and this woman somehow came through the dome, only where the celebrities came, and she had like flowers. And she's like, have you seen Michael Ely? And it was like my second week there, and I just acted like an idiot. Like I, remember I met Wes Craven once, 
And I go, oh, hi, how are you, sir? And he goes, I'm Wes Craven. I go, oh, um, are you one of the directors, one of the people? And he's like, yes, I direct movies. Like, I, and then I said, I, I don't watch movies, sorry. <laughs> he looked at me, he goes, you don't watch movies? Like, he was, like, shocked, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> so this woman comes in, I go, oh, I don't know who Michael Ely is, I'm sorry. And she goes, I have to give this to him. I, and she had, like, a package with flowers. And I go, well, let me call my manager. So I radio my manager. And uh, the manager comes down, and they escort out. I realize this woman's been stalking him for, like, months. And I just saved Michael Ely from probably a bomb or something. Oh, wow. It's yeah, probably, yeah. It probably wasn't a bomb. Love but, potion uh, number nine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted to meet Michael Ely, but hey, man. Can you put me in things like a man to raid to save your life? But that wasn't, wasn't going to happen. <laughs> you never know in Hollywood. Yeah, you never know. Never know. Have you... When, now, Florida... You're in Florida now. You're doing stand-up. You know, how, how are the comedians here compared to L.A.? Like, the scene, the people. Like, uh, obviously, you're in the back of the line, but there's something liberating about that and that, like, you can kind of start over in some regard. There's no stakes. And, like you said, there's freedom. Yeah, well, the people in L.A. have are seasoned comedians. Like, I mean, the open micer guys are open micers and you guys, but the guys who I'm friends with are guys who I started with like they've been around for decades so they're seasoned headliners and these guys are filling up spots you know eight minute spots ten minute spots so the comedians out there are generally better even in New York those guys out there are good so the comics in Florida I mean they're not the strongest but they shouldn't be they're like nascent comedians a lot of them are starting their careers here so generally weaker like I've seen some good comics like they're few and far between and you're a good comic but it's hard to, you know, it's frustrating to see that on these comedy shows because you'll see this audience are ready to go, like revved up and, you know, guys are meandering on stage. There's no like jokes, you know, they're doing pussy jokes. It's he just like, in the toilet. it's like, yeah. I mean, I love, I, that. I love that one. At least, at least he can find something, you know, they're laughing at him, but generally the voices aren't as developed, mm -hmm. which is where they should be. So I can't judge too, too much. Is there a difference? in tone and style between LA comics and New York comics? New York New York comics when I was there is generally more about the jokes. It was more about the the craft of of stand up finding, you know, joke premise, like all that stuff is important. LA you can kind of be a character, have a personality, have more attitude, you know, you can get laughs without really having that behind you. But the thing is when you start doing the road, a lot of these people will just stare at you if you can't, you know, if you don't have like no act behind you. Like it kind of passed in LA. Mm -hmm. But now, if you have a following, that doesn't even matter. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're famous, your fans don't even care what you're saying on stage. So, yeah, there's a difference. Is that but, making comedy poorer, you think? I mean, it's not helping, in my opinion, but again, it's, it's a business. Yeah. Because I, I wonder, and I think about this in, in terms of all. Art, art forms and how they live and operate in Florida. Like, yeah, like I, I think of how LA and New York, either in terms of music, hip hop, writing, they have their own distinct styles. And I wonder, is that, does that exist in Florida? Because Florida is, there are very few native Floridians. You know, most people don't grow up here. People come here. And so they bring with them the cultures from where they came, which is why the west coast of florida is uh being ruined by midwest culture in my opinion um and so what kind of voice can develop in florida if everyone isn't from here you know do you, do you notice any tone in florida does, does it have anything unique about it like well all i can see and this is very broadly speaking is comics are so new like they're grasping for laughs and so they generally go dirty because that's like an easy way to get laughs. And I see a lot of comics gravitate toward that kind of material, like mm -hmm. blue material, which is fine. But that's, you know, that's like an easy laugh. And a lot of comics are just looking to get big laughs out here versus trying to figure out who they really are, like taking chances on stage, like really, you know, not embracing the silence. And like, that's an art of comedy, which I don't know if that even exists anymore. Like in New York, that's what was celebrated is figuring out who you are and bringing that voice to the stage. Mm -hmm. So maybe times are just changing and I'm out of date. 
it's being like like you said it's being flattened out by social media there aren't as many regional and geographic differences because we all share the same like sure i mean I, I i guess so but you know a lot of these social media comedians i mean that's who's to say because a lot of them aren't even doing stand-up you know they're doing characters or but they're filling up arenas or, or comedy clubs doing you know dances or even podcasts so it's the the game has changed so much maybe it's evolved mm -hmm. it's definitely not the same as how it was 20 years ago when i started so well there i mean do you guys think we've lost the end of the household comedian name where it's like a comedian that your mom knows you know and your siblings know like right now everything's very like split up now like, like who's an example of that um obviously dave Chappelle, at one point jay leno uh you could even say something like a tim allen um, um, who was that? New Sinbad, Zealand? even Sinbad, generationally, like you could probably ask your parents. Oh, I love Sinbad too. I mean, there was that. Uh, I mean, Louis C.K. was obviously one more recent one. I think that who was that New Zealand woman, the queer autistic? Oh, girl? Hannah Gatsby. Yeah, not that her name was. What was her stand-up name? Nanette. Called? Nanette. Yeah. I, everyone was saying that word, Nanette. And I remember even my mom knew about Nanette. Um, I think that got a lot of coverage in like NPR and stuff yes. like that. And there was a, a purists might say that wasn't stand up comedy. Um, but I would say that that was a borderline household name, although she's completely fallen off since then. That's a good point. But was she, I don't know if black people knew about her. <laughs> oh, well, that's a different question. Isn't yeah. It? I guess, man, I don't know. I mean, one thing speaks to like broadly America, right? Yeah. Carlin, you know, you could sure. say Roseanne. Like everyone kind but of. I would say like Cat Williams, but he's not yeah. a household name. I don't think most white people know who Cat Williams is. You know what? Surprisingly, I, I think a lot of white people know Cat Williams. At least in the South. I don't know about parts of the Northeast or the West or the Midwest, but people, white people in the South, especially in Florida, mm -hmm. they love Cat Williams. He's a great comic. Yeah. 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 He's a great, great comic. comic. We're actually going to have Steve Lolly headline in a few weeks. He used to work with Cat, so mm -hmm. that'd be cool. That was, wasn't he on. Didn't he, I've seen him before. He was the one that did the. Uh, you would say something. I can't remember. He's the like board the, game. He, yes. 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 Yeah. I remember yeah. him. Yeah. Yes. So, I, did, did you come up with Cat No, but I've heard. Uh, I used to perform at the comedy store late at night, and he'd like just walk through and like hang out like randomly. He wouldn't go on. And then I do this one room in L.A. called the Santa Monica Youth Hostel, which is like, it's a good room, but it's like all foreigners, you know, for people in the hostel. Like nobody, you go there to like work out stuff. Sure. My friend who runs the room was like, dude, you know who like, stopped by here the other day? I was like, who was like, Cat Williams. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, he was just walking by. And then he, he saw through the glass, it was a comedy show. And he just like hung out in the back, like sitting down and watched the entire show. And they're like, Cat, do you want to go up? He's like, no, I'm good. Like he just like shows up randomly, like a really? leprechaun or something and just watches and leaves. You can probably get him here in Sarasota, maybe. He might do it. He might do it. If you reach, if you have a connection, he might show sure. up, dude. Like he's that type of guy. Really? Do you think you're? I haven't seen your stand up, but I will after this. Yeah. Um, do Do you think that your stand up persona and your real life persona are pretty much the same, or are they separate? Different, but it's exaggerated. Mm -hmm. Like what you see in my stand up is more of me, exaggerated, but it's definitely how I think because you know Chris knows like I'm very unfiltered like I'll tell you how I speak but when I do my stand-up now it's level 10 like I'll say I don't give a shit if I bomb if I, la if I get laughs like I'll just my jokes are some of them are like on the edge of like you know get laughs won't get laughs but it's exaggerated who I am mm -hmm. which takes me years to get to now I'm curious so you talk about Bobby Khan yeah. which is a film you wrote and a character you developed you do that character on stage as well. Mm -hmm. When you do Tarun on stage versus Bobby Khan, what's the what's the difference in terms of the voice of the jokes? Well, the jokes are there. It's just a different um, it's a different perspective, different POV. That's more like a my natural voice is like this dark, you know, irrelevant. Cerebic. Yeah, cerebic. You know, um, irreverent. Sorry. Bobby Khan's more like a fish out of water, you know, like experiencing America. Uh, so it's different. And when you start headlining, like the audience gets tired, like halfway through. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you have to kind of mix in something to like keep them going. 
some people do crowd work you it's really hard like when you hit like the minute 30 mark so bobby Khan for me always like refreshed the audience it was like seeing two different comedy acts in one i think that's the appeal of it for audiences i'm like re i'm hitting the refresh button like 30 minutes into it so and people in florida love bobby Khan. yeah like they love him yeah i'm curious can we get bobby Khan's sort of impression of florida is that possible is he available? <laughs> well, my voice is killing me, so I prefer not to do it. Okay. If that's that's okay. Fair enough. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. But, but yeah, I mean, you can just YouTube shit. Uh, it's there, but you know, I hate doing it too. You know that. Right? Oh, I, <laughs> I, 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 really I, I know you have. Doing it. I know you, have, and that's the thing. It's like um, there's a comics, and I think maybe even comedy fans have uh, sometimes a complex of characters, comedians who do characters sometimes. But I think the character is smart. The character is different. There's nothing like it. So like, yeah. it's unique. But you hate it because you feel like you're stuck in this character and you want to be yourself, right? Well, my whole thing my whole thing with comedy, it's about figuring out who you are. And I really feel like I'm at this point now where I'm finally who I am. Mm -hmm. Like I'm finally like breaking past a point, even in LA, of like I can headline I can do just as well as myself now versus Bobby Gunn on stage. And still, like when I headline rooms, I'm, I'm setting up rooms in, in LA right now when I go back. And they're like, okay, so you can do Bobby Khan the last. I'm like, oh, fucking, I gotta do this dumb character. <laughs> you know, and I got fans coming out, you know? So it's just this frustrating thing for me now. It's like, dude, do I just stop doing this or do I continue? Because I know, I, I understand the appeal of it. It's like a unique thing, but it also soul killing. Well, is it frustrating because people want. Bobby Khan more than they want Tarun Shetty. Is that what you feel? Yeah, like you saw that chick who came out to that show. Yeah, like, chicks are coming up to you. Yeah. Tell me the story. Tell me the story about how you were at the improv doing Bobby Khan well, and the woman. Can you just, for those of us who don't know who Bobby Khan, who Bobby Khan is, can you Yeah, it's, say, it's, a, it's a Bollywood star from India, uh -huh. right? And it's like a pseudo persona, which I just do with like glasses and bandana. And for a while I would tour with this guy named Darren Carter, who's like our legit comedian. And I would open for him as Bobby Khan. And I would just do Bobby Khan. So people thought I was Bobby Khan. Like there's a whole Instagram uh -huh. page of Bobby Khan of like me partying with fans, you know. <laughs> and they think I'm Bobby Khan. And it would drive me crazy because I would have to like do the character and then stay in the character. And then finally I told Darren, I was like, I can't do this shit anymore, dude. Like, like I can't, it's nothing like my normal persona and it's killing me. And he was like, well, just, you know, do, do split it up. Like do half your act and half is Bobby Khan. And that worked even better because when people are inside on the joke now that's not a real person, uh -huh. like that just brought freedom to me. Cool. Uh, but yeah, it's a pseudo persona. And to answer your question, I used to do guest spots at Side Splitters before I moved here. Now I do open mics there. But before they were giving me the like guest spots, and I did it as Bobby Khan. Like I just showed up as Bobby. I was like, I'm gonna do this thing. And it was so stupid. And I had a good set. Bobby Khan does really well. And this like chick kept like I was sitting in the back and this like hot white chick kept like walking back and forth you know and I'm like dressed in this dumb Bollywood character and finally she comes up to me I'm with a friend and she's like hey here's my number she's like call me I'm with my boyfriend and she's like so let's have sex after the show and I was like what and I'm like a Bollywood character I'm like oh sorry I have to go to, go to India sorry I to <laughs> <laughs> and she literally like, blew up my phone you know trying to like her hook boyfriend up. was yeah, sit in the front row. And she, you know, we're inside for the main room. Yeah. So I'm in the back and she kept like, you know, she finally gave me her number and she like called me when I was at the Denny's with my friend. She was like, where are you? And I was like, this is just crazy. Like the appeal of this character or just, I don't know what it is, man. Well, in, in Florida, is there an Indian community? I'm sure there are, but they're sparse, right? And specifically like for audiences, they don't get to see... In their mind, they think it's a Bollywood character or even just an Indian performer. To them, that's so novel. Well, I've broken this down for myself. In comedy, it's really about characters. You know, those comedy characters are so powerful. You know, look at like Gabriel Iglesias. He's like a natural character inherently. As he's in Sorry, you know, he's like a comedy character. Uh, even like Jeff Foxworthy, Larry the Cable Guy. Like the guys who have these very distinct personalities. Man, there is... You can't you can't buy that you know like you, that, that, that just resonates with audiences on a visceral level. So Bobby Khan creates the stereotypical Indian character, but there's a lot of jokes behind it. So it's very powerful, and I understand the appeal of it. 
just when you start to do characters, like it's just this thing where like it's like an acting exercise. Like when I write my comedy for myself, it's so freeing because I'm like trying to figure out like, oh, what I want to talk about, like the darkness, like releasing who I really am. Bobby Khan's like writing a screenplay. It's literally like me writing like something which is separate than me. Like, how do I write for a TV show? Like, that's what it's like writing for a character. Mm. It's like a monkey's paw situation. Yeah, yeah, sure. You get it. it. Does it ever, have you ever wondered or had a dream? Do you ever dream as Bobby Khan? No. No? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Then you're fine. <laughs> Once you start dreaming that you're Bobby Khan, then you're breaking your brain in half. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's just, it's actually opened doors to me, though, in Hollywood. It's definitely opened a lot of doors for me, so I can't, I'm not complaining. I did a whole show. I did a Disney show with Bobby Khan. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, the prank show? Yeah, I was Bobby Khan in that. Oh, so you were pranking people at Bobby, Bobby Khan? Yeah, that's why they hired me. They were like, this is hilarious. <laughs> so wait, what were some of the pranks? Like, what was Bobby Khan doing? Like, Well, I only did the pilot. The one where, uh, the, one, the, the show was like, I was like in a store and like, it was like a giant fishbowl like thing that which was like really like expensive yeah. and and like i worked at, i don't know for some reason there's a bollywood guy working at the store and this lady comes in and uh, like oh she's looking at the thing and like the thing the platform was set up to like automatically break and the things breaks on the ground and everything pieces everywhere and bobby kind of starts freaking like what are you doing oh my god you know it was so like weird like yeah. the situation itself was just abnormal but it's a disney show where sure. people characters are like heightened so I guess they thought it was hilarious. Uh, so that was the scenario. That was the show, the pilot that we did. Yeah. You know, uh, as Bobby Khan. So I think it would have worked great at Disney. If I actually moved forward to that show and I was that guy, I think Bobby Khan would have destroyed the Disney Channel. I really believe that. <laughs> Forget Hannah Montana. Move well, over. I really feel like that would have done really well. Bobby Khan can still do well. It I mean, could. Yeah, Bobby Khan, I mean... You know, Bollywood, people love Bollywood, people love music. But yeah. I saw, so the movie, Bobby Khan's Ticket to Hollywood, there's dance sequences, yeah. there's a romance, there's, uh, you know, there's uh, crime, you yeah. know, it's got everything. I think it's like the Breaking Bad or Sopranos of, you know, independent Indian cinema, American cinema. Well, my dream with that was to have like a whole spinoff of like things like, like, you remember Ernest? So my whole thing was like Bobby Khan goes to space, like Bobby Khan, <laughs> yeah. like in the time travel. Like my whole thing was to put him in like, these different situations and write movies based on that. Yeah, and it never happened. But like that was, I actually wrote a sequel. You, so you saw the movie, right? I saw the movie. So, said, yeah. so you know how like um, Bob, you know Theo Vaughn is. Mm-hmm. So Theo Vaughn's in the movie, and so Theo Vaughn's a character, Bobby's roommate, and. Theo goes to India, do like an apartment swap, and Bobby comes to America. And Theo comes back. Sorry to spoiler alert. Theo comes back as like a Bollywood celebrity. Yeah. And they write, he's like, I'm in this movie. I want you to be in this movie called Good Cop, Bad Cop. Right? So I actually wrote that full feature. It's oh. called Good Cop, Bad Cop. And that was going to be the sequel to Bobby Khan. Oh, wow. <laughs> and Theo Von was going to like, yeah, Theo can be the guy, and I'll be Bobby Khan. And, you know, that never took, never happened. I mean, a lot of movies are turn around for 10, 20 years. What was it, Gemini Man with Will yeah. Smith? That took 20 years to get made. And, you know. Yes, maybe Theo yeah. could do it. Could happen. Could definitely yeah. happen. Um, uh, do you have any. I want to talk about just your books for a little bit, but I want Isaac. Well, the only thing that comes to mind is just uh, when you represent a particular culture, there is like the, the risk of getting pigeonholed, right? And that happened to Kumail Nanjiani recently with that movie, The Eternals. So remember he like he got jacked. He got fucking massive, sure. right? They kind of tricked him in the end where they turned him into a Bollywood character. In the film, yeah. In the film. And he didn't want to do that. And he didn't want to dance, but Chloe Zhao was just like, No, you gotta do this now. And it was to 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 check that box, right? To appeal to that market. And so, um it is yeah, it's such a double edged sword, um, when you're in that position. Well, he's also in a great position. I mean, I, I don't blame the producers for me. I mean, he's like an Indian accent straight from Pakistan, right? So I understand that. It's just so. like, I think what was so funny, it was like, and I feel bad for him for this, is like, he got jacked for no reason. He took years off of his life taking as much testosterone as he looks could. Looks good. Looks good. I don't know if it looks good. His, his, right? He yeah, looks weird. It looks incredibly weird. Is he shirtless weird. in the movie, at least? No. You, you see his arms one time, maybe. 
Otherwise, he's wearing this weird gown. Kango, I think his name was. I watched the movie. It was painfully bad. That's another issue I have with, like, the, like... I feel like Asian men in American cinema are never seen as like super masculine. They're never having romances with people. Is he, does he have you watched any Jackie Chan movie? Yeah. When is he? He's never having sex with anybody. He's never. It's more polite, but there there are romantic interests. But this it's never. He's never grasping with your. You know, Chris Tucker. You know, he'll get the get the Snoopy. You know, but. <laughs> well, he. I, I'd say Camille is desexualized. Yes, entirely. A lot of Asian men are desexualized. In yeah, American yeah. Cinema. Um, but to to take off years of his life, sure. I mean, it is bad for your heart to be that big and to take those kinds of drugs to get that jaw that he got. That's just poor thing. I mean, I don't know. Hey man, he's working in Hollywood. So. Yeah. I mean, I don't feel bad for him. That's yeah. true. I don't feel sure. bad for him. But it, it was a real. Uh, they pulled the rug from under him in that role for sure. It was a terrible movie. Oh my god! I didn't see it. <laughs> One of, it was. I mean. I think Marvel movies are bad in general, uh, just for our cultural psyche. But that one was was it just No Man Land with superpowers? Is that what it was? Um, I heard it was boring. I heard it was, it the was most in, boring superhero movie. It was incredibly boring, paper thin character development. Yeah, um, yeah just it, it didn't it didn't make a lot of sense. I mean, you know, there's got to be a few bad. I heard Morbius was worse. I'm I want to see it just because it's bad. I love seeing uh, bad American movies. I'm kind of it's a thing of mine. Ragnarok was the only one that was kind of uh, awesome. Yeah. Who are you? All right. So you you write screenplays, right? Right. I write. You write. Yeah. Are there screenplays that you model your like? Say someone here in Florida, they're a comic. They want someone to write screenplays. What was your how how did you sort of craft develop your craft of writing? Well, I'm not, I'm not. I don't. I don't consider myself a master uh, master screenplay writer, but I have written a few. But I feel like r- reading scripts. I used to be a reader for producer in Hollywood. I feel like reading scripts is the best way to understand structure, and in writing, you kind of develop a voice. I wrote a script this past year and placed in Austin, and it's like the dumbest movie premise. But I've written so many movies that you kind of figure out a voice of like what you want to write. You know, and you can only get there by actually doing the work. So I feel like the actual process of writing helps you figure out who you are. And do you think that's when you started writing screenplays? You've written two books. Yeah, two books. Can you tell us about your first book and your second book? Yeah, the first book was called uh, "Laughing in Hell." It's based uh, a lot of true stories that happened to me. You know, from coming up as a New York comedian, you know, becoming Bobby Khan, getting on a TV show, like dealing with all the hoopla of Hollywood and then a guy trying to get the hell out of the Bobby Bobby Khan character you know it's more exaggerated like the guy in the book has much more fame and success but that's it's really a gritty book that I wrote I was like I have to write this you know and it's a more of a novella it's like 30,000 words but it's probably the realest thing I've written and uh, the second book was based on my boarding school I went to boarding school and just all the craziness that happens within a boarding school like a lot of short stories but there's like a through line as well like a crime that happens and about this character that solves the crime and in this world of uh elite new hampshire boarding school mm-hmm. and i wrote a third book actually which is actually i'm, I'm working on in florida about where i live right now like, like about the retirement community where do you live i live in a 55 and up retirement community so that one's about like how this guy moves there it's actually an alien front <laughs> so it's, a, it's like dumb but yeah I really wanted to explore that world. Well, that's cool. I mean, yeah. going back to that question of like how has Florida like affected your comedy, it's affected your whole entire creative process. And I think that's the cool thing about Florida. I mean, you, you're a writer, Isaac. Like, you have a lot of long time here, right? Whereas like in L.A. or New York, I mean, you're so busy maybe with a schedule. You maybe don't have that piece that you need to just do sort of long writing. Your time is sort of relative here in yeah. Well, I'm always working. Sure. I've got, I'm, I never have free time. Like, it's, you know, even my mom's stuff. I take care of my mom in Florida, so that takes up a lot of my time, and I don't have enough time to write everything I want to do. Mm. But I have some great advice for writers. But Brian Grazer, who heads Imagine Entertainment, when he was coming up, uh, he met he would schedule these coffees with all these execs and lawyers, and somebody gave him a pencil and was like, you know, you have to own your own IP. And I think he wrote um, Splash, which was a big movie with Tom Hanks. And he wrote that first 
draft of Splash, and then he passed it off to these two other writers. And that movie, I think, was nominated for an Oscar. But that really changed my life of like owning your own IP, like really creating your own stuff. Like Kumail, you just mentioned that story with him. Sure, but when you actually write your own things, you know, you have more control over it. It just, it gives you ownership. And that's the great thing about stand-up as well is you actually have cultivated an act, something that you own. Or I'm sure maybe in journalism too, you have your own stories that you, you figure out and you know, it's, it's yours. There's something empowering about that. We're still alive. We're still alive.